Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Mike West and you're listening to Into the Van. I hope you've had a fun couple of weeks since the last episode and really enjoyed Austin Sterling's episode. Please go check his music out. This has been a really fun time for me. I've been getting into a lot of new music and I want to share that with you folks. Harry Pedigo recently released Death Law. I finally got a copy of that. I fucked up and bought a load of CDs, not realizing I didn't have a fucking CD player, but I realized my Xbox did. So I managed to play them all through my Xbox. So I listened to Death Law by Harry Pedigo, and it's fucking brilliant. It's like John Carpenter meets Ralph Stanley, and it's just really atmospheric, brilliant record. So go check out Death Law. That's on Roadrat Records. Uh, Charlie Marie, who I had on the podcast recently, she was kind enough to send me out her new album, Ramble On. That's coming out in May, and that is a fucking phenomenal record. That is a really just great country record that I've had such fun listening to. So make sure you listen out for that. In May, she's released a couple of singles since then. Go check them out. And one of the bands that I found recently, which is just fun, is this band called Silo. And they're like a metalcore country band. And it's got the breakdowns, the double bass, but it's got banjo, and it's more country-esque and country themed in terms of lyrics and vocal delivery and they're just a really interesting fun band so if you're a fan of like country and you know also bury tomorrow or you know even if you want to go as kind of lightweight as five finger death punch go check out silo they're a really fun band and i've been listening to them a ton and the new album glitter and gold came out in february and my friends uh, tom has started a proper mental podcast which is a really good podcast about mental health and having open and honest conversations so go check out tom's podcast proper mental podcast that's with his mate chris and both of them are really interesting people because you know they're yoga instructors they're physical trainers they're physical therapists and they have a mindset of it's not just about treating the body it's about treating the mind and also using their own personal experiences so that's a really interesting podcast they're only two episodes deep at the time of recording this so go check out the proper mental podcast of course, today we are brought to you by The Next Life, my debut record. I'm super fucking proud of this thing. I've talked about it every time. We're nearly a year into this podcast, and I've talked about it every episode because that's how proud I am of it, and I really hope you dig it. I'm going to drop in a teaser for you now. I think we're at a crossroad once again. Wish it was with someone other than my best friends My head is telling me I have to go My heart is wishing that it ain't so So you go left, I'll go right And I'll catch you in the next life You go left, I'll go right And I'll catch you in the next life had a good run You can't say it weren't fun So I stopped there I know you're in there Don't walk away 
I've still got more to say You may not want to hear Or you do I fear And you can head over to mike333west.com to get your own copy. We've got vinyl, CD, and digital. And yeah, support The Next Life. Go listen to it. I hope you're enjoying Into the Van. I really appreciate you all listening to it. If you are enjoying it, please recommend it to a friend. You know, this only goes so far without word of mouth. Word of mouth is the key to sharing what you love. And you can, I could do a Facebook ad, I could pay for marketing and stuff, but none of it is ever as effective as someone you respect telling you to go listen to something. So I really hope, you know, you'll go listen to what I've just recommended and you'll also recommend Into the Van to a friend. Without further ado, this is a podcast with Eli Gardner. Eli is another phenomenal musician from Minnesota. I don't know what's happening over there, but they've got a kick-ass scene and it was a great chance to talk to another you know, member of that community and playing that music. And he's just released Fire in the Medicine, which is a brilliant album. We get into how, you know, it's a 50-minute record. It's not a small chunk of change. This is something you have to devote your time to and it's well worth devoting your time to. And yeah, this is a really interesting conversation. I don't want to keep you too long. So let's get into it. This is Into the Van with Mike West and Eli Gardner. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Cool. We're rolling, but you were just saying about this is the biggest album you've done. It's like 50 minutes long when I was listening to it. I was like, this is a chunk of a record. This is a big substantial thing was that your goal going into it you worried about the length of all of the fire and the medicine yeah i um though i think the hardest part was picking out the songs mm. and um figuring out i wanted the songs to flow and i wanted them there to be a you know a, a kind of an underlying underlying theme with the album so that helped um that helped figure out what songs i picked um but I, I knew I wanted to be a full album. I knew I wanted to get the right players on this album. And so that's just kind of how it worked out. But as far as like the most substantiated um, focused thing I've done so far, this is what that this album is. Mm. Cool, man. And obviously this is like your fifth record. So was there a kind of a motivation behind it to like have such a big album with like so many tracks on it to kind of, plant your flag in the ground and say this is the record that i'm going to be standing by for however long yeah yeah for sure because before it's mainly been like home recordings mm. or, or do-it-yourself kind of stuff and so this is me saying i want to get um some big players on the, um do some t- that can do stuff that i can't do mm. you know um and that has to do with you know getting um greg shooty involved who's an amazing drummer and and, and a producer as well um, Nick Salisbury, who's plays, who's a great bass player here in Minneapolis. I met who plays with guys like Brian Fallon mm-hmm. and um, Ryan Bingham, and then um, the multi instrumentalist Dan Schwartz, who's just great. He plays all over this album. He plays, you know, lap steel, banjo, mandolin, electric guitar, and so finding those key players is really what it's about. And then knowing what I could do with those players. Mm-hmm. 
and that helped the song selection and everything because I knew that I wanted this to be a band album. I knew I wanted um, you know some grooves to this to these songs, yeah. and uh, because a lot of the stuff I've done in the past has been more acoustic based, mm. and that's always a start for the songwriting. But I knew I wanted this, these songs to be filled out a little more. And yeah, and kind of make a statement saying this is what I can do with a full band and this is how I can represent these songs. Yeah, it's weird, man. I don't know what it's like in the States, but it tends to be if you don't have like a band, you don't get the same legitimacy as if you do, which is a weird thing. Because like obviously I'm a songwriter as well. I perform acoustic on my own. And I don't know yeah. if you had this before, but it was always like, I mm. wish you had a band. It's like, I wish I could fucking afford to pay for a band, you know? And it's like, yep, I yep. always feel like I don't get on certain festival slots or certain, you know, bills for things because they want a full band experience, not realizing that, you know, as a singer songwriter, like if you stripped this album down to its bare bones, as a, it'd still be a phenomenal show. You'd still get the full effect of them songs. But for right. some reason, there isn't that chance on when people are individual, like performers. Well, you, I mean, that's kind of what I've run into my whole career, too. Like, yeah, because this is the first time. No, I've had bands in the past, but this is the first time where I built a studio band. Mm. And and these are the guys. These guys play all over the place. and They're professional musicians. And so they play with a ton of other songwriters and a ton of other bands. And that's kind of, kind of how I've seen um, this scene in, in, in Minnesota, in the Midwest, kind of be was where there's, there's players that are so good. They're not just going to be in one band yeah. and they can't afford it to be in one band if they're going to do it professionally. And so they kind of, they're, you know, they're, they're hired, hired to play guys. And because I'm going to still play solo shows, you know, but yeah, it is weird where you get um, a little bit more attention if, you know, you can play loud. and Yeah. Soft. Yeah. It's, it's a really weird thing where people kind of, want that full band experience even though you know i've seen tyler childers solo and i've seen him with a band and i'd always watch i prefer the solo stuff when oh nice on his own and i always kind of like try and get people it's like yeah you want a band but you want the songs in like a way that the artist is most comfortable with and most songs written by songwriters are you know acoustic driven just on their own so it's like you can have it both ways, but to prefer one over the other is a really weird treatment. But with the plays and stuff, obviously you've done your solo albums in the past. What was the thought process or the selection process for finding these folks? Did you have these names in mind when you started recording or before you recorded? Yeah, it was a real organic thing. Um, I moved to Minnesota um, about two and a half years ago. And I started going to the songwriter showcase in St. Paul, Minnesota at this little bar called Plums. Hmm. And not like a typical open mic. They really value um, original music. And, and within that, they have a house band minus a drummer. And so Nick Salisbury, the bass player who played on this album, and then Dan Schwartz, who played a lot of different instruments on this album, were part of that house band. And so you would go up, and the fun of it is you go up, you play three songs, and you'd be like, hey, here's some new songs I wrote. Let's see how it sounds with these guys. And they're good enough players where they jump on them, you know, and fill it out. Hmm. And so it kind of came organically finding these guys through that process. And I was just impressed every Sunday I would go there and play with these guys and be like blown away by how this, these songs I've written the week before were sounding. 
And was that for the open mic? You literally write these songs and they hadn't heard them before, and you'd literally just start playing this three song set and they'd get in the groove. And yeah. That's yep. like the level just, of musicianship for that's insane. Yeah. And they just, the main thing is just the understanding of, of the songwriting. Like some players, they can play, they can, you know, riff all over your song, but the, the um, immediate understanding of what a song needs is mm-hmm. what impressed me. You know what I mean? They're, they're playing to, um, to complement the songwriting, the song yeah. rather than just yeah. playing, you know, over it. Cool, man. And what was like the process behind like you writing these tracks? Like how long had these songs been fermenting and stuff before you were going to solidly like, this is going on the album and this is getting recorded? I would say it was, it was overall, it was about a two year process mm. um, from living in Virginia to moving to Minnesota. I wrote some of these songs in Virginia um, and they kind of, they molded and just kind of stayed with me. I don't know about you, but like when I write songs, for some reason, some, some of them just stick out and you end up playing them more at shows and stuff. And so these were the ones that I was playing more. And then also I wrote some new ones when I moved to Minnesota that made it on the album as well. Cool, man. And what was the reason behind the move? Because I know like it seems that Minnesota's got this really, because obviously I've spoke to Luke Hendrickson, uh, the Plot Hounds and Tate McLean and stuff are all Minnesota-based. What was the reason behind the move? up there oh I'm, I'm a photojournalist so i got a new job oh cool basically yeah. and it just worked out like i've always i've always liked the minnesota music scene as, and not really knowing much about it just kind of looking from afar um but it's been great there's been there's tons of players here and um it's been a it's been a good move you know because i was able to make, make this album off of that move yeah. Cool. And with like the minnesotan scene and stuff what did you kind of you saw it from afar what was the first kind of like interaction with it where you noticed that this was a growing thing because in the uk we're trying to get this you know roots country scene mm-hmm. off the ground and it's like we are looking at places like minnesota and you know you see the stuff in kentucky of these like groups mm-hmm. of artists like working away what kind of you know got your attention first well i first kind of learned or thought about the minnesota scene way back when i was in college and i started listening to a songwriter called Mason Jennings mm. and his stuff was really stripped down but I loved his songwriting and he got his start in Minnesota in Minneapolis and he his first album he, he, he recorded I think it was like a bedroom recording but he played all the all the parts on the album and I was just really impressed by that and that's where I first thought about like Minneapolis as a music scene and then you know, the obvious stuff like First Avenue and, um, you know, Prince and uh, got things like that, you know. Um, but it was just kind of an organic thing. It wasn't necessarily like I have to move to Minneapolis to be in the scene. It was just something that happened where I moved here. I was here. I was like, well, I want to find, you know, like-minded musicians. So I started going to these open mics and songwriter showcases. And I was just blown away by the talent that was just showing up. Well, man, and who like jumps out in your mind as like at the forefront of this? Um, or like who are people well, you're fans of listening to from the scene? Yeah, um, right now, uh, Nick Hensley is a uh, is a good friend of mine, and he's a great songwriter who's been around in this area for a long time. He runs the songwriter showcase in St. Paul, mm. um, where I first met these guys that are on the album. Um, there's a 
the drummer Greg uh, Greg Schutte that I produced the album with is a big player in the in the music scene. He plays um, from anything from jazz to you know like you know country. Um, he tours with Ryan Bingham. Um, when you know when tour, tours are going on. Um, as far as songwriter goes, there's a lot of guys. Uh, one of my favorites lately is Vlad Messing. Mm. He just put out an album this past uh, this past summer, and he's a great um, a folk blues musician. Cool man. And yeah. like, who have been your influences? Obviously, before you started recording, when you first started picking up a guitar, who were the people you kind of gravitated towards as influences and inspirations? Yeah, you know, my, when I first started playing music, um, I grew up like on Jim Croce. Um, I remember my dad had the Bruce Springsteen Born on the USA album. Uh, that was big. And then just listening the, to the radio, mm. I remember growing up and listening to like the Golden Oldies and uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, and then when I got a little older and started learning more about songwriting, you know, Bob Dylan, um, Neil Young is a big one, you know, just kind of his aesthetic and his mindset as far mm-hmm. as like the first impulse is the best impulse. Don't, you know, trust yourself, screw everyone else, do what yeah. you want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I relate to that a lot. Yeah. That's like a really important thing to have as like a musician is that kind of conviction to things. Cause you reference stuff like in um, bought and sold off the record, you kind of like reference some political stuff is that, especially mm-hmm. with kind of country and root scene. Is that a hard line to walk in terms of wanting to voice your opinion while, you know, not necessarily wanting to piss half the fucking population off and stuff. It seems to be quite divided. Is it something that you have a conviction towards and want to kind of portray your views through it? Or is it something you try and stay out of in terms of, you know, having a hard line of like, this is what I believe for this. Well, it's interesting because, I think a lot of stuff, especially in the States, has been kind of mixed up where they they get by with things by saying it's political. Mm. But like I have a line in, in Tattered and Torn where I say it's not about politics, it's about beliefs. Mm. And there's hard lines being drawn. Like if you believe certain things, like you can call it politics, but it's going against human rights. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's taking rights away from people or that's not politics for me. That's about being a uh, you know a person you yeah. know and caring about other people so that's not something i'm gonna stray away from you know i think that stuff needs to be called out yeah definitely i saw a thing and like over here we've got the conservatives and it was just like um, i'm being persecuted for my political beliefs and it's like oh so you're getting shit for one to raise taxes and they're like no not those beliefs he's like oh so right. you want like a free market he's like no not those beliefs and it's like well what beliefs are you talking about and then that's like the implied like racism and homophobia and the equal rights thing that is thing but it's really right. a weird time for i think artists and stuff like i was just re-watching it or just watching you know the heart one highways documentary yeah that's great they, yeah they did that and they've done a revisited one i hadn't seen from 2015 mm-hmm. and then um, they talk about it it's uh, the difference between a country show and an americana show and it was like an americana show is the exact same music as the country show there's just no republicans <laughs> right (laughs) and it was a really weird thing to see that this kind of stance where it is these political ideologies are like rampant in a music scene and it's just a really interesting thing to look from the outside but also i kind of experience it in the uk where you start talking about things and people try and 
keep politics out of everything. But like you say, it's not politics, it's beliefs. And then when it's fringing on equal rights and stuff, that's where the, you know, the biggest clashes seem to be. Right. Yeah. And we saw a lot of that here in, in, in Minneapolis this summer. Mm. And I think, you know, there's just, it's a time in, you know, in the world where there, there is a clear line drawn. Do you care about other people or do you not? Yeah. And I think you it can get mixed up and muddled and, and people can be like, well, it's both sides or, you know, whatever they want to say, but there, there's a clear line where it's like, well, you either care about someone or you don't based yeah. on X, Y, and Z. So I think it's, I don't know. I'm just type, type of person in the songwriting too. I'm not going to like sugarcoat it and I'm going to kind of just lay it out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, I'm not worried about fans right now. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I don't have any money fans right now anyway. Like it's just, and um, I think as an independent musician, you have that freedom, you know? where you're not trying to appease anyone, you can do what you want. Mm, I think it is a real luxury when you're at this level that we are, where it's like, you don't have to think you need to pander to people. Like I can imagine Garth Brooks's team when he was singing the national anthem, like the flack they were getting, all the debates they probably had were huge compared to like, if you start off just saying, this is how I'm going to act. Do you can like carry on? But it seems that people like get muddied up in, trying to act a certain way to appeal to people that they don't actually give a shit about. It's a really weird thing, yeah. especially at this level. Yeah, it's called PR, I guess. But, yeah. but like, I don't understand that either. Um, and maybe that's a luxury we have, yeah, as, as independent musicians. But having to, especially this kind of songwriter, being a songwriter and, and, and having that value system, it, it doesn't make sense to me to, to pretend like there's nothing pretend about it. Yeah. Like, and I don't even know how you go about that where it's like, I'm going to pretend and, um, you know, try to try to try to imagine what my so-called fans are want out of me. It's just, it's just ass backwards to me, you know, (laughs) it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's weird, man. And like having that conviction, even like him, my mate sent me a text today being like, have you read the reviews of this pizza place that we like? down here by his and he sent me the um just he like the app reviews and anything less than like a four star the pizza place was basically telling people to go fuck themselves and it was like (laughs) four stars arrived late and they were like never come here again then (laughs) it's just (laughs) it's fun when people actually just go this is what i'm doing go fuck yourself and if, if you see that and it's you know you can survive in that theory everyone thinks if you tell one person who you disagree with no your career or however you want to pursue something's ruined when it's not it gives you more strength and you actually find yourself aligned with people who support those beliefs and will actually continue to boost you yeah definitely i mean have you found that in your um have you had an instance where that's come up where, where you have been asked to you know you know do something you didn't want to do or or say yeah, no to people i've kind of i've done stuff that i didn't want to do in terms of shows mm-hmm. i i've stopped well, obviously COVID put a stop to every gig. But before that, I was starting to just start saying no to shows that I knew were going to be shit. And okay. it was one of those things where it was like, we want you to play a chain pub. We want you to do X amount of time. Where and you like background noise. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, I know I'm background noise to that. And it's like the pay might be good, but it's right. not worth it. Cause I'm not like, I'm like, it's weird to say, but I'm not an entertainer. 
Right. I'm like, that's like the line right. in my head where I'm not there to sing fucking like Mr. Brightside or the Lumineers or anything. <laughs> like I'm here to perform my own songs and I will find yeah. venues and places that respect that. No, that's, that's really huge. Cause that's something that's happened to me recently too, where there is a, there's, there's def, def, a difference between an entertainer and a songwriter. Yeah. You know, and I've seen, I've seen people where they kind of want to toe the line and you can't really, you kind of got to commit one to another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I've had requests for Dave Matthews and I always tell people I have a strict, no Dave Matthews policy. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I just, I, I've said it on stage when people have been like asking me for like huge songs, like, cause obviously I'm British. So Oasis is massive. People go play an Oasis song. And I'm like, I literally go, listen, out of spite, I've never learned these songs. And I will never play right. these songs. So stop asking. And right. it can be awkward. And obviously, you know, I come off as a dickhead at right. some points because it's just like, I'm not doing that. But it's, I've drawn that line in the sand where I'm not an entertainer. Like if you find what I do entertaining, awesome. But right. I'm not there to be like a background party band for some pub, basically. And that's kind of, I've done that. There's certain things where it's just like, I won't work with certain organizations or promoters okay. just because I don't see the value in what they're doing. And right. you kind of like, we have organizations over here that country artists kind of follow and mm-hmm. you get gigs and stuff. And it's just like, they don't really amount to much. So why would I kind of bend my opinions to suit that route? That's not really doing anything other than like, I can do that independently without having to kiss anyone's ass. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I've had, you know, I had bands in the past too where it, you get group of people together and they're like, well, why don't we play more cover songs? I'm like, and I, I don't know what it is. I've just always had that stubbornness where I'm like, well, that's not why I do this. Yeah. I don't, I don't write music so I can play other people's songs. Yeah. You know, and, and when I was going to college and stuff, I worked in a, in, a, in a live music venue and bar where I saw that where there was a period where all they did was book cover bands. Mm. it was fucking horrible yeah we have a huge like cover band and tribute band like culture over here where they headline big like venues and stuff they are like the touring bands right and i know like i can do a pretty good eddie vedder impression i could do a pearl jam tribute <laughs> right. and i could probably make a decent living i i could probably right. be a full-time musician as a pearl jam tribute huh. or i'm not dealing with the gig back knowing i've sold my soul Basically, like people are always like, if you play covers, you'll be liked more. And I'm like, yeah, but I'll have that money in my pocket and I'll be driving back on my own, hating myself and not fulfilling my own like inspiration, my own like integrity, if you will. And I think, I think it comes to like, it, it's a, it's a journey to find your own voice in what, in what your value system is. And I think if you are doing that, where you're pretending you're playing cover band music, mm-hmm. I think that takes away from that yeah. that journey yeah. and f- figuring out how you you know and ultimately it takes away from the songwriting because you need that that original voice to, to write those songs mm-hmm. you know and so that's why i've luckily never gone down that road or even really thought about it you know mm-hmm. there's there's songs i play that because i like the songs but i'm not going to learn a whole two sets of them yeah that's the thing man. like i'm a huge johnny cash fan yeah. I, think, I think I know three Johnny Cash songs to play. Right. I've got him tattooed on my arm, but I know I'm not a fucking Johnny Cash tribute act. I'm not dropping these songs in the set because I know people will like them. 
but it's not right. what I enjoy to do. I enjoy listening to them. You know, occasionally I'll fucking, I do Jolene and that gets weird looks because it's, I don't change any of the lyrics. So it's just like singing about taking my man away and right. I won't change any of the lyrics and shit. And like, that's probably the most radio friendly, like pop okay. song I'll do, but I slow it down and do it weirdly anyway. Yeah. It's still, I won't fucking pander to anything that I would, like if I get a, a feeling, I just won't do it straight away. And it's hard, especially, you know, I'm not fucking at any level, shape or form really as a musician. And mm. you do get those doubts of like, maybe if I did just do one Ed Sheeran song, right? it might lead somewhere. But it's, you have to just kind of go, no, because if I stop, like, if I give in at this point, am I going to give in down the line? And it's where you then can draw the line without it turning back on you. Because if you pretend or you want to be a tribute act for so long, and then you actually go, well, we're going to do originals now. Everyone will kind of go, well, that's not why we booked you. Right. If you from the bat say, this is, I'm an original artist. I'm performing like this. Right. You can't really, like people can't be pissed off or surprised when you turn around and go, I'm not fucking playing. Hey, ho. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's just like, yeah, there, there's always that, that, um, I guess just being kind of scared, like, or, or self talk or self doubt, where it's, mm. you wonder, yeah, how do I get recognition? Mm. And really, the only th- way you can get recognition is just to keep doing what you're doing, you yeah. know? And, 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 and people, I think there, it's, there's two kind of, thoughts on like what it means to be you know recognized or whatever you know one it's like do you want to just be recognized just to be recognized or two do you want to be recognized for something that you actually believe in yeah um and you know before i started songwriting like i was i was an artist for a little while where i I was doing like illustration and and sculpture and stuff and i think to be any kind of artist you kind of just it's not, it's just who you are. It's not going to yeah. be something you're doing because it's going to get you this, you know what I mean? And I think those are the type of artists that I, that I really gravi- gravitate towards as well. Mm. Those type of songwriters where they, that's what they do. You know, you talk about Tyler Childers, like he blew up like in two years. Yeah. Like, you know, three, four years, like probably five years ago now, he was playing little, little bars and stuff. And he, he found his voice through doing that. Yeah. Um, and I think this kind of culture where it's like American Idol or The Voice or whatever those, you know, those glorified karaoke shows, I think people f- want to be famous. But there's a difference between like being famous or well-known and being like a musician and a songwriter. Yeah. You know, I think, and I'm, I'm just getting to that place where it's like, I'm recognizing that and I'm, and I, I'm getting a little recognition by people that I respect. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. That, that yeah. means more than anything um, outside of that realm. Yeah, man. Like it's weird with the voice and stuff. Cause like, I remember when I was at university, they held auditions there and shit. And mm-hmm. I got like asked to do it. And I was like, yeah. fuck you that. Do it. No, like fuck <laughs> that. Like, it's just not something I'd want to do. Like yeah. I'd like to meet Tom Jones. That'd be fun. But yeah. I don't, I don't want to have to sit through an audition process to do that. And I remember I, t- I was touring Belgium ages ago yeah. and I got like got off the plane, was checking around the uh, city in Liège and there was um, the Belgian voice, 
like film studio, like the TV studio was like where I was kind of staying. So I was just walking past it and I kind of like took a selfie in front of like the huge voice um, poster. Right, right. I was like, oh my God, I'm auditioning, blah, 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 blah. Like being sarcastic <laughs> and everyone who knew me knew I was taking a piss. But right. so many people were like, oh my God, good luck. Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. You deserve right. stuff. And it's like, right. I- I'm actually on tour here. Like I'm doing right. like five like days of actual gigs in another country isn't that a win in itself what like does it have to be i have to go on an audition show right that like it's like oh my god like basically that's being a musician it's like well i'm actually here on tour isn't that a win and it was a really weird thing and it's just like i get like tribute bands and cover acts and stuff where it's you know you do want to be like as a musician you want to be a musician so badly that you kind of will justify it in your head to be like, well, I'm a musician now. And it's like, but are you your musician? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of great musicians kind of go that route. Um, but I think, you know, I don't think I've toured as much as you or anything, but I think being able to go out and play your own material, you know, yeah, especially solo, getting up on stage, no one knows you and you're playing songs they've never heard. That's a, that's a special kind of feeling though. It's especially when you catch someone's ear. Yeah. I was trying to explain this. I was on like a video chat with my mates yesterday, just as a catch up. And you were talking about like my music and stuff. And I was like, I wish I could kind of explain the feeling you get when you make that connection with someone. I was like, I wish you could, I could explain or you could feel what it's like to go to somewhere and perform your own songs and someone else get it. And like, Today is like two years ago. Today was like I started my first European tour. I got to go all around Belgium and oh, wow. Germany and the Netherlands and stuff. And, you know, I was completely on my own. I had a camper van that I was living and touring out of and just going to the different venues. And I was like, I wish people could like bottle that feeling and you could like have it. And then yeah. you'd realize why I'd never want to go on The Voice. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being able, like a song you wrote in your bedroom. You know, play it and people get get reaction or start yeah. dancing or you know get misty eyed or whatever all that stuff yeah you can't that's a, that's that's a true like that's a really genuine reaction when especially because like if you think about it like the cover song request or whatever that's not really a genuine reaction that's just like oh i know this song yeah it's not even oh i i love this song it's oh i know this song you know what i mean that's yeah. just like it's like turning the radio on it's it's not even but if they hear a song they never heard and they're, they're, you're getting that immediate reaction, that immediate, um, you know, whatever it is, that's, that's a really cool feeling. Yeah, it's something that, like, I think a lot of people kind of take for granted. And I think, I don't know if it's, like, as I've read more things, like I was reading an article the other week about how there's some show on Netflix that's kind of designed for ambient watching. I was like, what the fuck's ambient watching? And it's like, oh, basically they have this thing on the TV. So it's something to watch. But for the most part, they're on their phone. So it's just <laughs> on in the background and it's ambient watching. So you can what? and kind of get the plot and know what's happening and then stare at your phone for another 40 minutes and look back up and you've not really lost yourself. You, you haven't missed anything. Right. That ambient watching has been like kind of used or that's been taken from then ambient listening where it's just background music. And that's the issue, I think, with music is a lot of stuff, especially like 
what music is, is someone trying to tell you a story, someone trying to connect with you. And someone's taken that pure, honest thing and gone, this is the background to you doing the dishes, or this is you, this is the background to you working. And it's like, well, shouldn't you actually pay attention to that? And that's what I enjoy about your record is mm. it is a long, deep, like huge sound and record that you can't just put on in the background. It's like, this is a 50 minute record. You need to sit down for 50 minutes and fucking listen to this. Yeah. And that was the interesting thing about it is like, I've had, I had conversations about length of songs and, and figuring out um, kind of the order too. Right. Mm. Like the first we talked, me and Greg Shooty talked about that a lot where it's like, how do we want to begin this, this album? Because the album starts with like a five and a half minute song, you know, Boat at Sea, mm. and it has a long outro, you know, and uh, I just, it, it's to me, it's almost like a gut feeling, like an intuitive thing where it's like, you just, you listen to the songs enough in the, in the mixing process where you, you kind of just know how they fit. Mm. Um, but my approach to songwriting isn't like, oh, it's three minutes, it's time to end the, end the song that's that that again is just like where you play the song and it kind of figures out how it needs to be yeah and in the, in the how long it needs to be and where it ends mm. um because my approach to songwriting is pretty like the songs i like the best and the songs i play the most seem to be come the quickest where it's like it's not a ton of editing i yeah. sit down and i write them you know within an hour or two or like half a day right mm. sometimes i'll come back where I can't get something, I'll come back and finish it. Um, but usually it's a very quick process. And then they, they kind of add themselves that when you're playing them, as you're playing them, certain things will either take out or you add a bar here or there. Um, and for the most part, the songs in the album were, were pretty solid as far as structure. When we and, first went and did you get to like road test them and gig them? like a fair bit before you went into the studio solo mm. that's it now with yeah. the band but uh, the first time i played with these guys when it was, was our first day in the studio how long were you in the studio for to record this so we did two straight days for um all the rhythm stuff and then like probably three to four probably three months of overdubs mm. you know just fitting in, in, in when we can when we could so I did all pretty much all the vocals overdubbed. Um, the one, the song "Villain," the one acoustic song on the album, that's a, that's a live take. Nice. And uh, then adding some different guitars and layers and editing like that. Mm-hmm. But it was just the, the initial, um, the initial rhythm section, you know, drums, bass, everything was was two solid days. Cool. And yeah. like, like I always think with songwriting and stuff. I was thinking this the other day because I've. I've only written two songs this year so far, which I'm not putting mega pressure on. One was about Mothman, just like okay. a weird cryptid, crypto like song that I just like thought of. And then the second one was like a pub song that I kind of enjoyed. But I was thinking about these and it's kind of going back to what you were saying, where it's like, if you start serving yourself instead of the song, that's when you start getting into trouble where you start thinking this needs to be three, three minutes long. I'm like, no, it needs to be how long the song is so if that song is only a minute long that's how long that yeah. song is if that song's five minutes long that's what it needs to be you can't kind of force it to be something or kind of like well i want to show off this chord right. and i'm really good at 
it's like does it actually save the song though or is it saving your own ego right and sometimes it's just like i want to do a long outro on a song or yeah. I, I want this to be epic yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> um yeah it was it was a it was a fun process going in the studio with these guys and uh and just trying stuff out and mm. you know doing stuff i wouldn't normally do because i can't do it play it solo mm. you know with, with with the song tattered and torn having a lot of feedback and stuff in, in the start and mm. um, it being really rhythmic and everything um yeah and and the key part about that i think is finding the players that you have you, you trust and you know they can take it out out of your hands but still understand what the song is yeah, that was a really fun process where it's like i, I trust what you guys are guys gonna do let's try some stuff and um it was all about you know serving the song and figuring out what sounds the best and um yeah i'm pretty happy with how it came out it's it's weird because album doing an album is is just a whirlwind and then you kind of make a decision on, on, on mixes and masters and then you just let it alone. Yeah. Um, and then being able, being able to come back to it and listen to it, I think that's when you really, really appreciate, you know, something that you, you uh, know. Yeah, man, like mine's like six months old now and I've not listened to it all the way through again since I've like mixed yeah. and mastered. I'm going to go back to it at, at some point soon and like listen through to it. I, like from everything I've heard, of snippets and things when I've been sharing stuff. It's like, I'm really fucking proud of this record, but I've not sat down to listen to it all the way through yet just because I wanted that space from being so involved with all the mixes and the masses and things. One of the things I was going to ask, obviously you talk about trusting your band members and stuff was, did you give them any direction about the song or was it kind of like, this is the feeling that I'm trying to convey and then go and I. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of direction because like, what we did um, in those first two days where we had everyone in the studio was we'd track the rhythm parts. If we get a take we liked, then we'd bring in Dan, we'd have Dan Schwartz do a couple takes right after that mm. and do some instrumental stuff just so he was in the, in the zone of the song. And that was, that was really key. Cause then we had parts we could take and, and, and edit out of that. And um, it was still, you know, he was still in the mood for the song. Um, there wasn't a ton of direction. I mean, these guys were very intuitive. Yeah. With, yeah. You know, a couple of drum parts where it's like maybe you know I, I had an idea in my head, um, but it was really it was a really quick quick, quick thing. Um, it, it it was a different thing though. You know, being able to put together a, a a band for a full album, and then we've only played together once after that. It was this summer. It was like a porch show. You know, mm-hmm. kind of did an impromptu like album release show on someone's porch outside but yeah I'm, I'm i can't wait to uh to be able to play with these guys you know you know you know actual venue cool man well could you release this album on in september last year yeah did you think about like sitting on the album until maybe covid had died down or it was there was a better time where you could like just release it and then go out and tour it or were you just like this needs to go out now because i know a lot of artists are kind of right they don't want to fall into stagnation, but they've got nothing to really promote. So they're wondering how they can kind of conduct themselves on social media and promote themselves if they don't have like music to promote. Did you have like an issue like releasing it during the pandemic? 
I mean, it was really touch and go. We we finished um, the overdubs. I remember the week before everything first got locked down mm. in March, I believe. And I my plan was to release the album like mid summer. Mm. And how the overdubs went and everyone's schedules and stuff, it kind of just got pushed back and pushed back. And I was fine with that. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have any, you know, solid release date where I had to get it out there. And so September was a later release date than I had initially thought. And I didn't really want to push it back any further than that. You know, I had done some, some, uh, some singles release. Uh, I think I did two single releases before the album. And I just wanted to get it out there. I mean, there, it was done. I didn't see any point to hanging on to it and kind of hoping things were changing, mm-hmm. you know, because the way by that time you could see it was, it was going to be a long time until anything went back to normal and probably still will be. Yeah, man. And like what kind of challenges or like obstacles did you like, re- like come across when you start releasing it or were you like, anything that was unforeseen because i released mine in august and it was kind of like how the fuck do i get this in right. front of new people yeah through social media because you know there's a lot of like obviously we're on like road country and different facebook groups which you can self-promote but self-promotion's not the goal and obviously it starts becoming spam and right how, like was there a conscious effort on how you were going to promote this when you started doing it yeah i i hired a woman here to do a little bit of um, PR stuff for me, mm. just kind of locally. And that helped um, get some placements. Um, the local radio station here, uh, The Current, is really great for local music. Mm. And I got um, Tattered and Torn, um, got a placement for their song of, the, song of the Day. And a few other songs got played on there. And then I did a few articles, you know, locally and stuff. Um, mm. But really beyond that, oh, I, I, I think I had a music video released on americana uk which is cool oh cool because they did a really good review for you guys because they're americana uk are liverpool based so they're like over the water from me yeah they're they've been great for like um they 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 do amazing promotion stuff for independent artists i've found and they've been really susceptible to that kind of thing so um the video for the right and the wrong got released through them Mm. which is really cool um but beyond that i mean that, that's one of the processes I found through doing this 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 album promotion is that it's it's hard for independent artists if you're not if you don't want to spend a lot of money yeah because hire, hiring you know a promotion person that that takes cash yeah <laughs> and I didn't want to do a huge radio airplay thing because I'm I'm not sure people really listen to the radio anymore so I would just find little niche spots to to get my songs and get my videos placed and. And uh, it still kind of happens where it's just like little niche things or people find me on Twitter or through Instagram, you know, and that's been okay. You know, it's, it's been a slow moving process, but it's, I don't really know much more you can do besides dropping some money on a big promotion thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, unless you go viral for whatever reason, yeah, it yeah. to just be. And then if you are an independent, like I had one NPR person because I was messaging a few to try and promote stuff. And one got back to me and the fee they were asking for was just like more than the record cost. Right. And then they were saying it was like, and we'll need, you know, 200 CDs to give to 
people and i was like well i'm only ordering 300 cds so i, I can't i can't do that right and those kind of things where it's i don't know about pr because i'm not a pr person but it seems to still be rooted in like like the 80s when it's like people had money and record industry was still a thing where it was like here's 200 promo copies and it's I don't know how much it has actually evolved to accommodate what the music industry is now. And especially for independent artists, like how important or vital a PR person can be to an independent artist is like a committed artist could probably do about the same amount of groundwork or legwork as if they hired a PR person. The only thing is they have better connections for a few higher up things, but if they don't pan out, you're in the same position still. Yeah. That's truly what it is. And I mean, and just learning how to send emails, I guess. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a whole other job, really. If you think about it, being able to do that. And that's something I've learned how to do just kind of through trial and error. Um, but yeah, I wish there, I think, you know, I think besides, besides that, I'm not sure what else you can do as an independent musician. Like a big thing I've tried to do is, um, is, is uh, produce music videos mm-hmm. and put some, you know, some video content to, to a song. I think that's helped. Um, uh, and I, that's just cause I, I have that capability as far as doing that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's, which I'm grateful for because a lot of artists don't, you know, they have, they have to hire someone for that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, what, what, what has worked for you as, as far as like finding niche, like Facebook groups and stuff or? Like Facebook groups was a weird one because there's a, like, there's a load of UK country groups and they say they support like UK country music, but they just don't face like they support like backing tracks and like certain people that work with okay. organizations. So it was just like the same way that I'm like, I know I'm not going to fuck with pub gigs. I was like, I'm not, I'm just not going to fuck with these people. Right. And so, like, a lot of kind of stuff was, you know, I've been lucky enough to tour with other artists and stuff, so it's just kind of working with them, and we have, like, overlap, and I've had people who have been, like, lucky enough or, like, kind enough to shout me out on different things, so that's been a big help out of, like, platforms. Like, Reddit has seemed to have been the best, like, independent, like, cold promotion thing, because instead of posting it to a group, like, on Facebook reddit does seem to get more engagement like they are a bit more stricter in terms of self-promotion but the one self-promotion post you can do a week does seem to get more engagement than like the five posts that you're doing on a facebook group um and like the grim thing is like i've been grinding this out since august and you kind of like you check your insights and your engagement and shit and you know it's one or two here or there and i remember i did a gig on the 10th of october and sold records engagement blew up lots more like buzzing it's like you don't realize as an independent artist how vital touring and gigs still are and then it was like i did a gig on december 18th and they were the only two shows i'd done since march right and again it was like you could see the spike go up for those so that it's like trying to find independent ways to actually break the monotony and it's you know reddit seems to have been good trying to do if someone can do a live show, like I've set up two live streams for some venues, this one this month and one next month. So I'm hoping they'll do well. And I've tried to stay off the live stream circuit 
a fair bit because I didn't want to like oversaturate it. Mm-hmm. I've only done like three or four, I think, since March, just because I didn't want to, you know, people to get bored. And it's so easy to get drowned out during that. So it's been yeah. a hard one to see what can actually engage you. It's a lot of trial and error. Like I enjoy the market inside of stuff and I do it for like a good chunk of things. But again, it's, it's all just, you know, the, you can post differently by 10 minutes and the, the engagement will be different. It's crazy. Like the algorithms <laughs> that Facebook are just. Yeah. I try to pay attention to that a little bit, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a stickler for that kind of stuff. And then the whole live stream thing has been interesting because I kind of treat it just as something I do for myself, Yeah. you know, to, to, to boost my mood or whatever. But I found it's been fun because I, uh, I've had some interaction on doing live streams, but also I've learned how to, to kind of talk about my songs more and be comfortable with yeah. that about introducing songs or talking about a backstory or, um, and then also I've, I've found I've, been playing more older songs or songs that I forgot about, you know, because mm. I'll, I'll just sit down for an hour, you know, 15, 20 minutes and kind of go through an old notebook and just play stuff, mm. you know, so that's been fun. Um, and I've kind of had, so it's not like I treat it like a show necessarily. I treat it like, Oh, let's look through some old songs and yeah. see what happens. <laughs> so yeah, that's like I think the interesting way to treat it because I think if you are expecting it to be a show and get the same thing out of it that you would have showed, then you're gonna be disappointed because it's right. you know the comments are delayed, everything's got a lag to it, so you need to try and find a way. And I think those behind the scene things and like the deep dives are really the interesting thing. And I'm kind of wondering where you can go outside of Facebook because Twitch is one of those things that seems to be doing well in terms of music streaming and that has a core audience that can be supported and it can be monetized easier than Facebook. So it's one of those things to look into Reddit, do live streams, but it's only a certain amount of day for a certain time period and stuff. So it's, again, it's just trying to see what you can do to reach new audiences because the danger with what you have on Facebook and Instagram is you have the same core group of people who engage with everything and comment and talk, but you can't, abuse them in a way to like further your career or you know rely on them to be like they obviously support you to a huge degree but you can't rely on them solely for everything so you need to try and bring new people into the fold and it's the new people that's the issue during this i think right yeah i mean that's the key like how do you find people how do you put music in front of people without actually playing shows yeah (laughs) i don't know we'll figure it out yeah that's that's how it's been like this whole year, really. Yeah, and that's the thing. And that's where you start looking at like sync placements and if you can get on like games and things. Like I did a, huh. um, yeah. like I did a really cool thing a few, like a, two years ago, maybe it was for a Kickstarter for a comic book because I like write my own comics and stuff as well. I know that kind of oh, scene cool. in the UK. And there's a group of guys I really like from Madius Comics and they were doing this new comic they were kickstarting. And I wrote a song and recorded it for their Kickstarter video. And everyone who backed it got a, like, a download of that song. So that was a really interesting thing that I think can really be important. And obviously, like um, I know Sean James, uh, he blew up over. He had a song on the Last of Us 2 video game. And it was literally, you could see overnight the attention and like 
what happened because it's a phenomenal song and it was like so prominently placed in this trailer of the character singing it like i don't know oh. if you've seen it where she's not like him she's on the oh. bed playing a guitar and it's his song and you literally saw it blow up overnight and there's still like he did another song that was in the game and used so it's those kind of sync placements i think that are going to reach new audiences yeah. and working with maybe independent game designers or developers trying to get onto different stuff like that that's an avenue that I think might be interesting, especially during COVID times, if you can get a track on a trailer or a film, even for like an independent film. Like I have a friend, Richard Glover, he had, like he's lived in Australia for a long time. So an Australian director used one of his songs for a trailer of something. And that kind of traction is like working together to build a community through the art. So then it's, you're not just relying on yourself and your music to do it. If you can bring in, you know, an independent film. Yeah. That that's might right. boost it. Yeah. No need independent filmmakers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need a song or two. <laughs> yeah. But that is one of the things. If you look on yeah. Twitter and stuff, maybe um, reach out to people that you respect and stuff. Like I've been looking at like, cause there are companies that do sync, like synchronization placements and stuff. So maybe it's like, I'm going to start looking at working with one of them maybe. But yeah, it's, you know, I only have nine songs from this album that I can really pitch them. So okay. if, I, if they don't accept those nine songs, I'm fucked. Well, people yeah. like I have my fiddle player, he writes music and he, he can do like whatever they want on fiddle viol or whatever. And he can morph to that while I'm limited to this is my kind of thing. So I'd have to hope that they'd enjoy one of my songs enough. Yeah. I looked into that one during the album process where they're, where you do alternate mixes and stuff. Yeah. Stem mixes basically they call them where you're, you know, it's just a drum and bass stem of the song. Yeah. Or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, where sync companies like like to have those options. Mm. Um, I mean, that hasn't come up for me yet, you know, but, and I wasn't going to invest the money without having a sync placement, you know, yeah. or, or interest at least. So Yeah. I think but, yeah. That's, that's definitely an avenue I think independent people can look at because I know, like you, like I've found bands like him, like I really enjoyed this TV show Ragnarok on Netflix, which is Danish, I think. Okay. And I found like one of the episodes ended with this fucking killer song, and I was like, "Holy shit, what's this?" And I became right. a fan that way. And I've found a lot of bands, like even if you think of him, um, like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, like that yep. soundtrack was yeah. life changing. So yeah. you think about those type of things. Like I remember I was in the cinema, and um, the three billboards outside Ebon, Missouri trailer came on. And Call to Wall was playing over it. And I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. Yep. And it's one of those things where, like, if you get it right and you're lucky enough to get on one of those things, it can be a game changer. Yeah, I mean, that's how John Moreland blew up. Yeah. You know, he got a song on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, and, like, the White Buffalo, like, Sons of Anarchy basically launched, like, so many, like, kind <laughs> right. of country and roots artists for a while. Yeah, yeah. And what's the, what's the new show, Yellowstone? Mm, yeah. They have a lot of... A lot of the songs too yeah i mean that's the dream right that'd be really cool um who knows that's the thing is like you, you hope you get those breaks but also you're like oh this is kind of my, my mindset right now is this is kind of what i do yeah and uh like i'm working on a whole new set of songs right now mm. for the next album <laughs> like that's kind of how i work where it's like it comes in waves where i have a little time off and then i'll have like a month where i, I really 
um, motivated mm. to write songs. And I get a few down here and there. Um, and so I think this my my next album is going to be all about like like murder ballads and mm, nice blood in the snow kind of thing. Mm. That's kind of what I'm feeling. <laughs> cool man. And has that been kind of after the fire and the medicine? You wanted to kind of switch it up and do that thing, or is that just kind of like the songs and like the feeling that you've gravitated towards lately yeah just a batch of songs that have kind of come out i wrote some you know some of them when when all this stuff first happened and some recently um but i want it's probably going to be more acoustic based mm. um i'm not sure how that's going to come about or when it's going to come about but yeah it's uh i don't know i i don't know i don't really have it's just kind of something that happens like where you you have an idea or the song sprout that idea or mm. um, there's just a feeling, you know, through the songs. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't even know where it comes from, but you just kind of follow down the road, you know? Yeah, man. Like that's the interesting thing about songs. And then it's, you know, would this fit into what I want a record to be? Right. Like, well, if it's not going to fit onto that record, what do I do with it? Should I do an EP? Because I've got like a cigar box guitar that I uh, play songs on and I've got a good selection of them. But I'm like, that doesn't fit on a record that I'll bring out. So I'm like, so should I bring it out on an EP and do just like, that's this and kind of keep it separate. And, you know, I have that fucking Mothman song that I know is not going to go on a record, but I really enjoy doing it. So it's like, that should be probably a single, but then it's, you know, I'm an independent musician, so I can't just keep throwing money at all these weird little projects. So it's, yeah. How do you, how do you kind of think about that where it's like, cause I'm almost thinking, do I need to do a full album or do I just want to start releasing songs? Yeah. You know, and then once you get enough, you can put, you can, you know, make it an album. Hmm. Have you ever thought about doing that? Or just maybe, I, maybe I'll just release singles and see what happens. I've been thinking, cause obviously, the other month, that Spotify CEO came out and said that the traditional album's dead. Oh, fuck that guy. Exactly, but he said that, <laughs> and I was like, I get that to a point. So I was kind of thinking what my process for maybe the next record and how I release music going forward is I will release a full album as I always want to because I like that's how I'll always want to listen to music and how I want to release it. So I'll do yeah. the full album, but that will be exclusively on Bandcamp because Bandcamp support me in a way yeah. that no other streaming service does. And then if Spotify want constant like constant songs and constant content instead of songs, well, mm-hmm. if this album is nine tracks long, I will give you a track a month. And that yeah, should like that. that should ideally work with their algorithms. Where if it's like if you're a fan of my music, you can go to Bandcamp, you will get the full album right now. If you only want to stream it and give me two P, cool you will get one song every three months. And then I'm thinking that's how I'm going to approach streaming services as more as a promo tool instead of an actual, you know, stream or a platform to promote my music. So because Spotify, it's hugely dependent on if you get playlisted and it's the same thing with like Apple music where it's like, you need to be releasing songs to get picked up by their algorithms to actually get prominently placed. So I'm like, okay, then fuck you guys. I will release a song consistently for like nine months and see if that works. But if you want to support me, here's the full album on this website. Yeah, that's a good, I like that approach. That's a really uh, smart approach, I think. Um, because you almost have to tailor 
your your strategy to to where you're putting stuff yeah and like a lot of people do put stock in spotify i use spotify i'm i'm a fan of it in terms of discovering music and you know ease of access to listen to it but i do buy a load of shit off bandcamp that's where i mainly get my music and it's also you know i think i've made like 20 quid from spotify in the last four years i made like a lot more like like one record on bandcamp covers how much spotify has paid me right so it's like why would I focus my efforts on like trying to get people to listen to me on Spotify when it's like, if you actually support me, go listen to it on Bandcamp and actually help me. So that's kind of like, I'm using streaming as just promotional as marketing tools, not a source of, you know, income or a source of this is where my music is. It's like, if you want to check out, that's kind of where it is, but this is where the full thing is. Yeah. No, that's a really cool idea. Um, Maybe I'll try that too. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just how you can kind of approach them, especially as an independent artist. Like I've seen people get traction from a Spotify placement of, you know, getting lucky and getting a track on something. So it's like if you release, you know, two or three singles, but then drop a full album, if you drop that full album in singles, like people can still listen to the whole thing on Spotify, but it yeah. just increases your chances of working in their parameters. Right. So I think that's what I'm going to do in terms of records is everything I release on Spotify will be single based, but that's not how I'll be actually releasing the music. I'll be releasing it in full forms, physical copies on Bandcamp and my own like website and stuff. And I'm thinking even in terms of if I do an EP of cigar box tunes, it'll be yeah. on Spotify full album on Bandcamp and it'll be the full album or the full thing will be on Bandcamp first. And then maybe three to six months later, you'll get the first single on Spotify. So if you don't want to wait, here it is right. in one go. If you do want to wait, you've got to wait six months for it. And then it kind of creates a scarcity and an importance to the mm. actual product. So it's like, that's the only place you can listen to it for the first six months. And then it'll start getting playlists and promotion on streaming services. Yeah. And I think, I think we have, we have this idea, at least I do sometimes where it's like, Everything's got to be new, 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 right? Mm. But really, it doesn't matter because it's new to the person listening. Yeah. Right? And so the idea of when you release something, because especially with the the, 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 um, the PR stuff I dealt with around this album, is that's key, is getting it. Albums have, you know, brand new album or soon-to-be-released album or unreleased video or all yeah. this stuff, right? And that's good for, like, publications and websites but the average consumer doesn't really care yeah it's just new to them yeah man i reached out to an american <laughs> one like i really obviously i released it in august and then it was kind of like i think november i was like i need to just give it another boost i need to get some more eyes on it so i reached out to an american pr company and they were like it's too old I was yeah like, i was like it's four months old but it's like right. in terms of like the PR company, I'm like, but if you covered it now, it's new to them. So I'm like, yep. can I, like, I should have just been like, I'll just lie about the release dates because no one in America knows I've fucking done it. So it's right. like, I, I, it's really weird. Like you said, it's new to the person. So why can't it still be featured? And then you see, it's like Dylan's got a 50th like reissue of something. And it's like, that's not fucking yeah. new. Yeah, that's what they do. Do I just, do I just need to re like I'm just gonna send it out to PR and be like, this is a reissue of my album that came out in August 2020, and then I'll get coverage. 
<laughs> you could. I mean, that's kind of why I'm doing, I just, I've been doing more music videos because I just released one this past week um, for the song Before the War. Mm. Um, just because I want to keep that interest and I'll, I'll probably end up doing, you know, videos for the whole album, you know, eventually. Mm. I think there's five out right now. Cool. Man. Um, because it's, I think it's, and that's whole and hold up different thing of like being able to put a visual to a song. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of different trains of thought about that. You know, some people will just want they just want to call it a visualizer and have, you know, lyrics yeah. or, or just like a picture, you know, up a, and so you can listen to the song. Um, I kind of take, you know, a different approach where it's more, I think it should be, the video should add to the song, but not take away. And so yeah. there's that, there's that kind of line you, you want to balance where, how do I make this interesting to people and also enhance the song? So they'll listen, you know, mm. um, have you, have you done much uh, video work for your music? And I did one video for when it was released. I did like a single, cause I only released one single. I like, I should have probably done more. I wish I'd have thought about like the Bandcamp thing and the Spotify thing last year. But it's because I released this record, I was like, okay, I'm going to release it from like this now. But I did one video for that. And I only got to do that video because the guy who filmed it and edited it owed me a favor because he accidentally cut my set short at a festival. Like, <laughs> um, I was meant, like, it was meant to be on it, like, set times. Oh, I okay. got the times wrong. So he cut my set short by, like, 20 minutes. So I, I literally played for, like, 10, 15 minutes. And I was meant to do, wow. like, a full... 40 minutes set and it got cut short and he only re- like and then he came to the side and was like you need to go i was like for fuck's sake but you can't like be like no it's you're wrong while i'm like in front of people so right. i like, wrapped my sets up and shit and then it was like you do know you cut me off like half an hour early and he was like fuck and he felt like he owed me one so he did like the whole video for me and it's kind of like i don't have the budget to really do other videos i've been um hit up by a new film company who want to get started and because they want to get started they want to do one of my videos for free so i'm doing that i enjoy i enjoy editing my own shit like i've got sony vegas and i do my own youtube videos and stuff but it is i use my phone and take like three or four different shots at different angles and then edit all together under one okay yeah thing so i do stuff like that and i enjoy doing things like that but i don't have the equipment to go out and record stuff i do want to do a video for every single track it's just what the concept will be and how polished it'll look is a, one of those right. things. but i also think as a diy artist i think one of my strengths would be in just how sketchy and diy looking it could be yeah like I'm there's a lot to- of different approaches you could so i've seen some people they they take um you know public uh domain video mm. and use it use it you know, for to enhance the song, I've seen that a few times. I've done that as well. You know, mm. um, I did that for the video for Tattered and Torn, where I took um, protest video from the 1960s. Mm. You know, the Selma march, and tied it into to um, to a local, you know, Black Lives Matter protest and stuff like that. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that's yeah. definitely a regard. Not thought about like public domain stuff, but that's an interesting thing. I think I'd try and do some concepts and stuff of what I want to do. Cause I've even got stuff where it's like, I have a song called what if, and it's just kind of about like waking up in the morning. So I'm like, I could literally just perform that in bed and kind of edit in shit in and out. So I'm yeah. Yeah. It, not, it doesn't have to be high tech. I just, 
I always want it to be the best it can be for that period of time. I don't care if it doesn't look great down the line, but if it's like, if that's the best I can do in the moment, then I'm happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you can just take a concept and kind of run with it. Um, it can be abstract. You know, a lot of the public domain stuff, I've done some videos for, for friends too, where um, it's just, you don't even see the artist. It's just some abstract video that's mm-hmm. from like the 1950s, you know, where it's, it's all, it's all blurry and, you know, <laughs> black and white and, and sepia toned. And um, it, it, you know, just adds to the song. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can do with it. Um, but I think it all ties into the kind of the storytelling aspect of songwriting. Yeah. And how do you enhance that? Cause nowadays people, you know, I still listen to albums, but to, for, to get them to click on something, it, it helps to have a video associated and, um, you know, no, no matter really what it is, it helps a lot. I found. So I think, I think that helps to get my music in front of people sometimes. Mm. Um, and I've even done stuff where there's a song called um, "Eaten Alive" on the on the new album, and it's about dealing with addiction. And my brother, oh, my brother Lucas, was um, an addict for a long time, and he he's been clean now for for a while, and he actually has a job where he's an addiction counselor. And so he has, he's deals with people like that and, and helps them out. And so I had this concept for that song where I wanted it to be really powerful, happy mm. um, kind of thing, showing people that have come through addiction and, you know, are now in recovery. And so I, in that music video, I asked people to submit pictures of themselves and their, uh, and their loved ones. And so part of that video is showing all these different peoples and walks of life that have dealt with addiction and are now in recovery and, you know, and kind of just play getting it's it's outside of myself and showing how this song is about, is about other people and how, you know, this one thing that is a very, um, very hard thing for people to go through as an individual mm. is, is universal as well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I think that's a really important thing to do with what music is. Cause it needs to be like the best music is universal and personal at the same time. And when right. you can kind of show those type of things with a community, it really creates like a powerful message. So that's really not only a cool concept, but an important concept to have. Yeah. And I think that, I think video can help with that a lot and, uh, and really take it outside of just something you're hearing to something you're seeing and, and connect in that way. And so I'm, I was really happy with how that turned out and, and that people, you know, related to that song like that. Um, so I think thinking outside the box and like, where, where is the emotional connection? Yeah. Um, that's that, that can be key where it's beyond algorithms. It's beyond, clicks and you know trying to gain fans and stuff it's like getting to the core of like this is why i do what i do and this is why i enjoy it and this is Hmm. you know what drives it yeah man definitely it's it's such a hard line to walk between like self-promotion and like self-service where it's like this is what i love to do this is what i have to do but it kind of it's a symbiosis of i kind of rely on other people to yeah funding this because i can do this forever outside like in my room but it's not gonna 
pay a bill and it's not going to get me touring and it's not going to get me in front of people. It's not going to pay for a record. So it's where you kind of are able to reach people and engage without becoming, you know, like a corporate whore basically or like selling out to a point where you lose that connection and integrity that people first like got involved with you in. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, that's the key, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's hit or miss, you know, but I think the main thing is, is to commit to it. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's been fun. I, I you know, I, I enjoy it. And the thing about making an album was just like, oh, I, I want to do more now. I want to keep going. You yeah. Know? And that's, that's the fun part of it is that it's a, I really enjoy the album process and the recording process. And I've kind of really enjoyed all of it in that's why I think, you know, why I do it. Why else would you, why else would you do it? Yeah. If you aren't enjoying oh, it, like I always like people are like, oh, I can't be asked with X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, then don't do it. But like, if you enjoy it, it's even like the same thing I was talking to my mates last night about, they were talking about, you know, obviously I was saying I was recording a podcast and while I was on video calls with them, I was editing and stuff. And they were like, Oh, it's, it's good to see how motivated you are about. It. And I'm like, this isn't a choice for me though. This isn't something I want to do. It's something I have to do and I have to do it because I love it. Like it's not, you know, it's not right. me being like, oh, I have to go do this. It's like, I want to do this because I love, fuck, I fucking love doing it. And it's the yeah. same thing with gigs when it's like, I'd be working and I'd finish at like four and I'd drive to a gig and then I'd drive back and then I'd go to work and people are like, oh, aren't you tired? And I'm like, yeah, I'm shattered. But this, it's not an option. It's not a choice to not do it. It's like, this is what I love doing. And yeah. I have fun doing it. The second I don't have fun doing it, I'm like, I'll call it quits. And that's again, going back to why I don't do like gigs. I don't want to do and work with people. I don't want to do. When did you start doing this podcast? And this, I started in March last year, March 24th was the first episode. Okay. And I'm glad I did it because I wanted to do a podcast. Anyway, I'm a huge fan of like the medium. Like I listen to a load of different stuff and you know, I'm lucky enough that I know some cool people, like people that I respect, people that I gig with, like local and things. And I didn't even obviously know the pandemic was going to hit. I started recording loads of things. Like I had the idea in 2019 and then in early 2020, I started like talking to people and recording them. And I wanted to launch in March with like, I used like Sean James, I sat down with outside right. of his gig. And cause he's like, a really fucking nice guy, but he's also got a decent following. I was like, he'll be the first episode by a yeah. backlog of folks. So I released that. And this has been something again, where it's like, I just fucking love talking to folks like you because you can't progress or improve in an echo chamber. Like right. everyone right. talks about bubbles and stuff. And it's like for social media, I get, I have a little bubble cause I can't be asked with fucking idiots on my timeline and shit. But in <laughs> right. terms of being creative and in terms of feeding off of other people and networking and stuff, you can't be a better musician or a better creative person in a bubble. You always have to, you know, stick your head out of the top, yep. see what else is happening and talk to people who are really equally as motivated. Cause listening to you talk about how, passionate you are about like your videos and recording and all all that it's like well i want to go and do videos now and like i'll talk to someone else who's like i'm i've just booked a hundred day tour and it's like well i want to go fucking tour and then <laughs> right. like i'll say that and then someone else will be like well i want to go tour as well and it'll just kind of it just keeps feeding itself where it's that motivation of if you love it you want to explore every aspect of it and i think 
especially with this podcast, it's like if people enjoy my music or enjoy songwriting, they'll want to listen to it be talked about and dissected as well. They'll want to kind of see the industry. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast was you don't get to see the independent side of the music industry because it's either people are acting like they're faking it till they make it. Right. And talking about like endorsements and sponsorships and right. that's not there, but they want it to be. And it's all a sense of like ego, but it's also, you know, I want people to know that I've had shit gigs right. and I've fucking driven back, like completely defeated and thought about throwing in the towel. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. I've also thought about like, well, I'm just not going to do those type of gigs anymore. And knowing that people do draw those lines and knowing that that is a thought process for musicians, because you see, like I've just finished watching that airframe and Britney documentary. Okay. And Britney Spears, where she's like the conservatorship and stuff. And it's like people see what they want to see and what's been shown to them. And they don't see like, like that's only the tip of the iceberg. They don't see the real straws that are going on with like her fame and stuff. And it's the same thing. You see like a musician on Instagram post that they're in the studio. You don't see the five grand credit card debt that they've racked up to get into the studio. You don't see the sleepless nights trying to finish the song. Like you don't even see, like if you have them on the personal profiles, you don't see them selling gear to try and make that record you don't see them selling the guitars they've loved for 10 years to continue to fund this dream and that's kind of what i wanted to show is like people are working hard it's not just an instagram posting of four minute song people are you know putting their lives behind this because they love doing it it's like something they adore to do but it's a struggle and that's why i wanted to do this and i'm so thankful that i got to do this during a pandemic because i don't have touring i don't have any real outlet to gig and stuff so this has been a real saving grace to talk to folks like you who give a shit as well are in the same boat and not even commiserate but just kind of strengthen each other's convictions and motivations of what can be done yeah that's definitely a huge thing and that's why i've tried to reach out to people like you and and talk about stuff and and it's really it's ultimately about creating a community of like-minded people, you know, and knowing that, yeah, everyone struggles no matter what kind of, you know, what kind of level you're on, Mm. you know, it's really comes down to like, are you doing good music or not? You know, are you committed to that kind of thing? That's, that's the ultimate like decision. That's like, I respect people or not as if I respect what they're doing musically. Yeah. And that's, that's the drive. That's the line where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's someone I want to talk to. That's someone I want to know. Yeah. And it's, it's a really weird thing because it's hard, especially like, I think that's why I enjoy and I'm envious about is like the Minnesotan scene is like, it is mutual respect and mutual fans working together to kind of solidify that like genre or that base and that scene instead of you see like that person's doing well. So I'm going to kind of copy them. And then you get like mimics and that's kind of what the UK scene has been is like, Oh really? Huh. It, this like, cause it was like pop country kind of did well with like the festival circuits and getting known. And then like the Shires, I think the Shires and is it the wandering hearts kind of broke as like UK pop country and okay. people were like, well, that's what country music in this is in the UK. That's what we're going to do. And then it like took what country music was and spun it. So now it's like, how do you create a scene that's independent of that? 
while still kind of using the name. Huh. And that's when it's like, you see a lot of people being like, well, I need to write a pop country song, but I actually like this type of stuff. I'm like, well, do that type of stuff and we'll build a scene together. And again, it's the same thing when you see like the Kentucky scene or even you see like, we've got a really good punk scene up in the Northwest of England. And you just see fans and friends putting on shows together. And it's in the UK country scene, you see a lot of people who aren't even mates kind of like tolerating each other because they think that's what they need to do to get ahead instead of get along. And I think that's like the biggest difference is that people are trying to get ahead instead of get along. And that's what I want to try and do with this podcast and what I try and do with like my friends who are musicians in the UK is it's like, isn't it just fun to put gigs on together and hopefully people show up. Right. Like it's we're, we're not trying to sell out the fucking Wembley Arena or anything. It's just like, wouldn't it be fun if we get to do this? Yeah. And that's like, you know, goal achieved basically. That's cool, man. Yeah. I don't even think about it in terms of scene. I just kind of think about it just like minded individuals yeah. and people that are, are, are writing songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of the distinction for me is like if you, if you write songs or not. Yeah. That's the you thing. Know. It's if you're like actually care about what you're doing and you'll put yeah. thought and care into it, into like originality yeah. and have your own identity. That's such an important thing. Like I think cause I've studied music for so long and like I have a degree in it and shit. It's like, I always have that like analytical eye of this is, you know, the punk scene. This is the fucking indie scene. This is okay. that. And I, I do have to kind of take a step back and go, that's not going to happen. We just need to get along and do gigs and have fun. And maybe down the line that will happen. And that's right. kind of what we did with Rogue Country was like, we aren't seeing anything we enjoy on the UK scene. So we just need to do our own thing. And if people gravitate towards it, awesome. If not, we're still having a fun time. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, I really enjoy that, that you guys are doing that. Um, because I've seen, I've gotten, I've, I've left groups or gotten kicked out of groups, certain Facebook groups, because you see a lot of bullshit. And I just, I don't, I kind of, I, I, you know, I was going through periods like, you know what, I'm just going to, anytime I see bullshit, I'm going to call it out. And so mm. <laughs> I got a lot of, you know, fights online about that, but I haven't seen any bullshit with the rogue country. You guys are, you know, pretty straight shooters. That's what, that's what matters right now. Yeah. We just kind of like, like I, kind of monitor the most of like the posts and shit i i decline so much stuff i just i if it's not attributing a positive reaction i just don't do it so mm-hmm. like i've i've occasionally let certain like negative things like because it's so easy to rag on pop country and it's so easy to like bitch about like florida georgia line or dan and shay or whoever right. the fuck it's it's just an open goal but it doesn't achieve anything it and, right. like those conversations that always get the most engagement are like country isn't as good as X or like negative. Yeah. Yeah. So that is like, I've just declined so many posts where it's like, I get why you're saying it, but you're just having a bitch and nothing's changing. And that's what rogue country and like my own kind of music career is. It's like, it has to be done positively or it's not worth doing because you can bitch and you can like go on a flame war and slag off everyone and you will get traction. You will get engagement. You'll get controversy but right. you won't be in a sincere way where people are actually listening to your music first or taking you seriously right. as you want to be. So it's a really hard line to walk, but being positive about shit's harder than it seems. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've found 
for myself, like where I really, if I'm going to spend some time and really listen to some, some people online or try to see search out new artists. Cause I think a lot of the time with social media, some, an artist gets traction for whatever reason and people kind of jump on the band, bandwagon. And there's not a lot of free thinking people out there where they're like, all right, I'm going to listen to this because I want to find something and I'm going to, I'm going to hear it and not, and I'm going to hear it and take it into myself and not just like it because someone else likes it or hate it because someone else hates it, you know? And so I think that's really the type of people that I'm really striving to listen to hear music is where it's taking the music at face value and not comparing it or anything like that or not jumping on a bandwagon because of a producer or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, Hey, do you like the song? Is this a good song? Because this is connecting with you. Yeah. And there's very few people that do that. But that being said, the people that are doing that, I think are what really matters for independent music. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of see those artists that are doing it and you do see them, you know, get the attraction, get the engagement. And you can, it's so easy, especially on today, you can shit on anyone doing slightly well. But it's, you always have to kind of, again, internalize why you like them or why you hate them. Because it's even like, I remember when I was younger, I was like a huge like rock fan. So I wouldn't dare listen to like pop music. And I wouldn't right. admit that someone I actually enjoyed. And it's just, you get to that point where it's like, do I actually like this though? Yes or no? And if it's a yes, then it's like, you have to enjoy it unashamedly like i don't believe in guilty pleasures anymore and you see people doing well for their own thing and it's something to be celebrated but you see so much negativity that it's just it just grinds you down a bit and that's what a lot of facebook and especially twitter twitter is a fucking garbage fire of negativity but um you just can't who's an artist who's an artist that you've you've listened to lately that's that's new that you've kind of um were uh, pleasantly surprised by um, Harry Pedigo was is a guy in Ohio, and I had him on my live stream that we did for like the six month anniversary uh, last week. He's like an Ohioan. He's a really good fiddle player. He plays guitar, and he does like death metal folk country, wow. and it's really interesting stuff. And I really enjoy his things. Um, and then kind of like, and again, because I'm doing the road country stuff, I listen to every single thing we get sent. Some of it is just like, not for me, I'll pass it on. And then I'm trying to think who else I've really been enjoying lately. Like I've started a playlist that I've been playing while I've been playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of stuff like Charlie Marie, who I've had on the podcast, her EP is great. Um, and again, I always, I, I'm always approaching music like optimistically. Like I never want to hate listen to something. I never want to be like, this is going to suck. I always go, this could be good. And mm-hmm. then, you know, prove me right or wrong. Like the Honest Vultures, uh, I think. I don't even know where they're based. They're American-based. And okay. then there's like the uh, Doghand String Band in the UK, their leads base. And again, like one of the things is I really want to be optimistic and find like UK artists that I enjoy because that means I get to gig with them at some point down the line. Right. But um, I'm trying to think of... So, and then, you know, there's a load of stuff like... um. Tribulation or a Swedish death metal band I've really been enjoying. Their new album came out a few weeks ago. But yeah, it's just 
like even fucking your, the Eurovision film that came out last year on Netflix with their Will Ferrell in, that soundtrack was really fucking good. And it's like just Euro pop and it's like cheesiest. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that soundtrack. So I was listening to that loads, but it's just whatever I enjoy. Cause I like, yeah, but the road country stuff, I'm always pleasantly surprised by like stuff like Alice and self brought out a honky tonk Hayes record. That was really good. Okay. Luke Hendrickson with One Night at the Crystal Lounge, yourself with yeah. uh, The Fire and the Medicine. Um, that's the, the best thing about Rogue Country is how many like independent small artists we found to listen yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think one I just, um, I think was on, I think was featured, uh, was one of my favorites recently, it was Abe Partridge. Mm, yeah, he's great. Holy cow. Like I, I was like blown away by his songwriting. I was like, where is this guy coming from? Yeah. You know, and I, I love to go on deep dives when I hear a song I really like. I, I'll listen to everything of them, you know, and read about them, watch videos, I'll do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's someone I was like, wow, this guy reminds me almost of Daniel Johnson or something mm. like that, you know, where it's like just an all encompassing kind of um, artistic person where it's like they have this vision and they have the, they're just going for it. Yeah. No, it's a really interesting thing. And like, it is just important. Like um, people kind of think, or I've read where a lot of people think like music is shit after they turn 25 and it's just everything that's just nostalgia driven. But I think it is like a lot of people just enjoy being negative about stuff. And like the internet and social media just creates like a negative feedback loop of this is my opinion. No one's going to change it. This is what I listen to. And it's important to like challenge that. And I think that's what like artists like yourself do. It's like there's new stuff that's like really good being produced. You just need to take a chance on it. For and sure. It, there's some people are slowly shifting to that. And I'm really happy about like how stuff's changing now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you don't think there's good music being made, you're not looking hard enough. Yeah. And especially like, there's always like the country music debate where it's like, there's been nothing good since like X. And it's even, I was like watching that Heart One Highways documentary and it's like, what was that? Like 76. And there's yeah. a guy that's saying Johnny Cash is done. Like Johnny Cash yeah. is blue as what he's done. <laughs> and it's like, that's the seventies. Right. <laughs> like he still had like another fucking like 40 years to go after that. And it's yeah. like that, like the old versus the new is just a constant debate and it's just, everything just slowly shifts. And it's yeah. again, and that's what like I try and keep out of and what I try, I try and keep rogue country out of is like, if an argument has been going on for like a decade or longer, you clearly know that it's just part of like what it is. So there's no point engaging in it. So right. it's just like, right. you just have to be positive and push the positive things out there to prove those wrong because you know it's wrong because it's always been proven wrong since like fucking Johnny Cash's blue is what in the seventies. It's like, well, you haven't even you, wait until you see his American recording motherfucker. And it's yeah. just you need to see what's going to happen. And it's just kind of to keep out of those debates and keep optimistically looking at what is actually happening instead of what you think is happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even worry about that stuff. It's doesn't do much good unless you want to kill some time maybe, but yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's cool stuff. I'm I'm glad you're doing this and putting this out there. And I think that's really the key is just just keep putting stuff out there, you yeah. know. And and the like-minded individuals will come around. Mm. And uh, there's enough stuff out there where 
you know, people will, uh, will hear it and hopefully like it, you know, mm-hmm. or hate it, whatever, yeah. whatever, they're, whatever they're actually going for. Yeah, exactly. And like Paul Stanley said, bad reviews built his house. So he doesn't give sure. a shit. But, um, you know, I've taken enough, uh, taken off enough of your time now. Um, what have you got kind of coming up in the immediate future? This is going to be released in like March. Okay. So um, what have you kind of got coming up to kind of, not necessarily promote, obviously you've got the Fire and the Medicine, which is out now and you've got videos and things that you're starting to record. Yeah, that's, it's going to be more of that. Um, hopefully by then I'll have, have some more videos out. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then I'm going to be starting working on um, the next album. I'm not sure what, what um, kind of form it's going to take or when that's going to happen, but I'm going to start doing some demos for that and probably release uh, some couple new songs, probably, and you know, more of a, um, a live mm. recording kind of thing, you know, um, doing some demoing for that. But yeah. other than that, hopefully things will start opening up a little bit and I'll uh, maybe we'll play show, shows here coming up. We'll see. Cool. Um, no rush with that, but yeah, just kind of keep hitting the pavement and putting the songs out there. Yeah, man. That's all you can do. But, um, thanks so much for sitting down with me, man. I really appreciate this. And this yeah, this is great. Really fun chat, dude, but I'll let you go. All right. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Mike. Thanks so much, man. Boom. And there we go. That is episode 27 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. I'm going to keep saying that until I get bored of it. I can't believe we're up to 27 episodes, guys. That's so cool. And I can't really thank you enough for, you know, sticking with me for this long. This has been a really fun chat. I can't believe 27 people have agreed to do this with me. I can't believe like that many people have agreed to, you know, shoot this shit and talk about stuff that's possibly interesting, possibly, you know, something that people can get value from. And yeah, it's all down to you guys for listening in as well. Otherwise, we'd just be talking into a void. So please head over to EliGardner.com and pick up the fire and the medicine. Now, go support all the artists you love. Share this podcast, and I'll see you next time, guys. Peace.